I think um, abroad, both in the UK and in other countries, the stereotype is that the Netherlands is this sort of Woodstock writ large or kind of permanent <laughs> Burning Man festival right. going on where everyone's smoking a joint before they go to work and sleeping with each other and euthanizing their grandparents in the evening and living this incredibly free hedonistic lifestyle. Welcome to Celebrating Connections, a short series of podcasts celebrating the amazing things happening on either side of the North Sea. My name is Nick Heath and I'm Britain's Deputy Ambassador to the Netherlands. I'm helping to prepare a landmark state visit by King Willem-Alexander and Queen Maxima to London. But alongside the pomp and the splendour, the carriages, the speeches and the parades of soldiers, it strikes me that what makes this friendship an indispensable partnership is broader than royalty or governments. It's about thousands of human stories, or connections, crisscrossing the North Sea. In this series, I'll be meeting a group of exceptional people who are writing a new chapter in Anglo-Dutch relations. Dutch people living and working in the UK, and British people making a name for themselves here. And I'll be exploring with them what it takes to move from the countries they grew up in, and thrive in the countries they've come to call home. My guest today is a British author who's fallen in love, not just with a Dutch woman, but moved to her country, and indeed I think a little bit fallen in love with that country too. Uh, Ben Coates, it's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Thank you very much indeed, and welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So Ben, um, what I'd like to do is set off with a couple of quick fire questions, so simple one-worders, and the idea here is really just to see on which side of the North Sea you feel more at home, if that makes sense. So uh, let's kick off. Coffee or tea? Oh, coffee, definitely. Okay. Hills or polders? Hills. Sorry. Cycling, helmet or no helmet? Helmet. Controversial. Oh, well, that's very controversial. Very good. Okay. Um, ein Outsmiter or a fry-up? An Outsmiter, I think. Really? At least there once a week. Yeah. Uh, okay. Rembrandt or Turner? Rembrandt. Schiphol or Heathrow? Schiphol. I think the answer to that probably is neither, but I accept that you <laughs> didn't give you an option for that. Great. Well, listen, um, it's really good to have you on the podcast. I want to talk a little bit about, um, start off by talking a little bit about your moving to the Netherlands, uh, which um, remember from reading your book, uh, is was a pretty sort of roundabout uh, process. Is that fair? So tell us, talk us through it. How did you get, how did you wash up on these shores? Well, I moved here, I guess it was about eight years ago now. And basically by accident, I think you could say, I was taking a bit of a, a career break or a gap year traveling around South America. Uh, and I happened to meet a young Dutch lady while I was there who was also traveling around and we got chatting and had a drink and had a, a nice evening and it was all very innocent and nothing romantic but we had a nice chat and at the end of it I got her email address um, and thought nothing more of it and then months and months later I was flying back to London from South America and the plane was diverted from Heathrow <laughs> to Schiphol due to bad weather right. And I found myself stuck in the middle of winter in Amsterdam in the thick snow with all the hotels full and the trains not running and all the rest of it. And at a bit of a loose end for a couple of days. So I dug around in my backpack, found this old faded email address and sent this young lady an email and I said, would you like to just have coffee or lunch or catch up or something? Um, and well, this, to cut a long story short, I never left. And <laughs> seven or eight years later, I'm still here and we're now married, got a daughter together living in the Netherlands and um, yeah I guess I'm stuck here now amazing I mean talk about serendipity right you know you're uh, from, from start to finish there's a lot of uh, lucky coincidences in that and then what a wonderful finish as well that you've now got your daughter as well who's what two months old 
Yeah, two months. So sweet. not much sleep at the moment, but very sweet. <laughs> you look very fresh, at least. So that's great. Um, but tell me, so you you decide, to, you know, once you you've sort of come here, you know, by accident as much as by anything, and but you've settled and you've started to make a life for yourself. You um you had a successful career in politics communications back in the UK. What what t- brought you to writing? How did that come about? Well, I think like a lot of people, I always had this sort of fantasy that one day I would write a book. It was always something I'd kind of dreamed of doing um, and was, I suppose, looking for a subject for a while. Then I had a few different ideas that I sketched out and they never really went anywhere. Uh, And I had never worked as a writer or a journalist, but always worked, as you say, in politics and communications. And in the Netherlands, when I moved here at first, I worked as a speechwriter. So it was very sort of in that world of writing things and researching and structuring arguments and so on. So it wasn't completely alien to me. Um, And when I moved to the Netherlands, I suppose like a lot of people, I went to a few bookshops and started looking for some things to read that would teach me a bit about this country and how it worked and the history and the culture. And I was slightly surprised that there seems not to be that much available. Um, I think there's a lot of books get published about the Netherlands that are either incredibly light and jolly and full of jokes and they may be kind of fun to read on the couch after a beer but you don't necessarily learn that much for them from them or there's ones that are real sort of thick door stoppers of the history of the type of paint used between 1620 and 1630 Um, but there's not much in the middle that just sort of is educational and teaches you about the the history and the culture of the Netherlands but in a way that's quite readable and entertaining as well and so I rather brazenly thought maybe I can try and fill that gap um, and I started travelling around the Netherlands and reading lots of books and doing lots of research and talking to people and sketching this book out and much to my own surprise to be <laughs> honest it sort of worked out quite well and all came together and other people seem to like reading it too Yeah I can quite understand that because it is a brilliant book for those who haven't read it it's called Why the Dutch are Different A Journey into the Hidden Heart of the Netherlands it's a sort of combination of history and journey how do you research that? Because how much you know it looks effortless but presumably a lot of work goes in before you even start you know, getting a train ticket together, right? Yeah, that's right. I think actually the the writing is often fairly quick. And when it comes to the point that I'm writing something, I can sit down and hammer out a few pages quite quickly. But yeah. before that, as you say, there might be months of research and reading. And to write one paragraph about, I don't know, the siege of Maastricht, yeah. you probably need to read three whole books about the siege of Maastricht and then talk to a few experts and travel there five times. And then you can boil it down to a few paragraphs that are both stimulating and interesting and also historically accurate um so it's it's quite a long process to put it together how long did the whole book take to write it was probably two years i think altogether something like that but i mean certainly not doing it full-time doing it as a sort of fairly intensive hobby (laughs) alongside my day job and so on Um, but about two years and in terms of the journeys and traveling places that was great fun to do but one of the reasons I did that was, I think, another sort of weakness, if you like, with the way people tend to view the Netherlands is a lot of people are familiar with a few basic cliches about windmills and clogs and bicycles. And a lot of people visit The Hague or Amsterdam and maybe venture not much further than that. I know plenty of people, for example, even yeah. just move to live in one of those places and stay there without traveling further for years on end, which is fine if that's what they choose to do. But I do think there's this whole world beyond that of the Netherlands. Obviously, it's not just the Netherlands is not just a couple of cities. It's a whole country with all sorts of complexities and contradictions, the same as any country. And that was a bit of the aim of the book was to explore some of those and dig beneath the cliches and see what's true about the stereotypes about the Dutch and what's not so true. 
I think what's remarkable about that is the ambition to do that. Because you're right, you know, any country is a kind of uh, conglomeration of lots of different cultures and communities and regions. Uh, Netherlands, no less than anywhere else. You know, I'm married to a Scot, but the idea that I would, uh, and I quite like a family, but I, I'm not sure I would feel comfortable writing a book about Scotland. Uh, I mean, did your did your in-laws kind of ever raise an eyebrow as you were um, diagnosing them uh, and their culture? Well, they didn't know I was writing it when I was writing it. It was okay. the easy answer to that. <laughs> so I, I carefully kept it secret while I was working <laughs> on it for fear of offending anyone. But you're certainly right. I think for anyone to write about another country or a culture they don't come from is inherently quite a arrogant thing to do in a way. <laughs> and I've just finished another book that's yeah. largely about Germany, for example. And there's also something slightly outrageous about that, about an English guy trying to tell Germans what it is they're actually like, even if they don't realise it themselves. But I also think that as an outsider, you can sometimes see things that people from a country can't necessarily see themselves so clearly. And that was one of the interesting things with the book was... I wrote it very much from the perspective of a British guy in the Netherlands trying to explain the Netherlands to other Brits. But a lot of the people who've read it turn out to be Dutch people who are kind of interested to know what a Brit thinks of the Netherlands right. and how the Netherlands looks to the outside world. And I think there's plenty of things which, not just in the Netherlands, in any country, if you live there and you grow up around it, you take it for granted. And it maybe takes someone who's coming at it from a slightly different angle who can say, hey, maybe you've never noticed it this way, but this is actually sort of odd and interesting. And how have they generally reacted to it? I mean, the Dutch audiences who've read it, have they given you sort of generally positive feedback or do you ever get the occasional prickly uh, email or letter? They're almost all positive, which is probably what you'd expect me to say. But I think really I, I get hundreds of letters and emails and things and I think probably 98% of them are positive and a few are negative. The thing that always surprises me is the negative ones are never about the things that I would expect. So... <laughs> I've written things in the book and online and in newspapers and things about Dutch politics and Wilders, for example, right. and populism. And I'm always very careful and a little bit nervous sometimes about writing those things because I think it can be easily misconstrued or twisted and you stir up some big row where you don't really mean to. And actually, no one ever seems to mind about those things at all. <laughs> but then if I write something about how Dutch gardens aren't as nice as English gardens, I will immediately get furious emails <laughs> from people saying, you've clearly never been to this country house and seen this garden. You don't know what you're talking about. Go back to where you came from. And it comes, I mean, it comes out very clearly in the book as well about the degree of affection you have for the place, right? So if you have a bank of affection kind of built up uh, about living here, obviously you've moved here and made your life here, then you can kind of point out those bits a bit more honestly um, with that behind you. I think uh, it's perfectly reasonable to say negative things about a country, yeah. just as it's perfectly fair to say positive things about a country. But as you say, what counts is the fact that I think, A, if they're rooted in truth and that people, even people who disagree with you, can see that there is, it's not just something that you've made up on a quick weekend visit here, but it's something that is genuinely you've thought about and you've researched and it's, there's an element of truth to it. And secondly, that you're doing it in a respectful way, as you say, from a starting point of this is a place that you love, you enjoy you live, you're planning to stay here, you've put deep roots down here and you're not trying to sort of upset the apple cart and gratuitously offend yeah, yeah. people. And one of the things that you um, you pick up in the book is a bit about uh, one of your preconceptions, I think a common preconception in the Netherlands is the sort of capital of liberalism, the home of liberalism and you, uh, you sort of um, unpick that a bit and, and challenge some of those assumptions. Do you want, could you maybe explain a little bit about why you think that doesn't quite hold true in reality? I think um, abroad, both in the UK and in other countries, the stereotype is that the Netherlands is this sort of Woodstock writ large or kind of permanent <laughs> Burning Man festival right. going on where everyone's 
smoking a joint before they go to work and sleeping with each other and euthanizing their grandparents in the evening and living this incredibly free hedonistic lifestyle um and there are to be fair elements of truth in that i mean certainly there's elements of the lifestyle in amsterdam that are far more liberal and tolerant than there would be in london for example um but obviously like any stereotype or cliche it's also very exaggerated and as a outsider moving to the netherlands one of the things that most surprised me was not just that some of those cliches are exaggerated but that actually the dutch are i think often quite conservative and there's still quite a religious undercurrent to life in lots of parts of the country even dutch people who are very liberal and tolerant in terms of their day-to-day lifestyle they still have fairly conservative in the small c conservative sense attitudes to money and family and i think it's very important that you keep your car clean and wash your windows every week <laughs> and don't get massively in debt and go and visit grandma for a cup of coffee every sunday and so there's certainly the liberalism is true and does exist but also beneath it i think it's buttressed by quite a lot of sort of tidy conservatism of people living in a fairly thrifty calvinist sensible way and when you first moved to the netherlands you moved to rotterdam is that right that's right yeah so was there a moment where you felt crikey i'm making it this now feels like home and conversely were there moments where you thought gosh this is very different now I'm not sure there's ever a, a tipping point where you right. sort of suddenly feel at home. I think it probably creeps up on you. Um, and you certainly, at the beginning, I felt like a complete stranger visiting on holiday, completely lost. And now I feel I'm still British, but I also would feel sort of significantly Dutch. And I have a Dutch wife, house, daughter, yeah. job. Um, and I think you could equally argue that I'm just as, Briti- as Dutch than British, even if not more so. So there's a, I don't know where the crossing point, the tipping point is where you sort of transition from one to the other. But I think it's a pretty slow process. And then, I mean, when you reflect back on the book, um, uh, can you think of a way in which you think that uh, Britain and the Netherlands are quite similar? Well, I think there's, if you look at the history, there's certainly lots of similarities. They're both fairly small countries, very exposed to the sea, um, in some ways not particularly naturally powerful countries, if you like, in terms of the resources they have and the size of their their landmass and so on, but that have leveraged that to become great maritime powers and established empires overseas and then seen those empires shrink quite rapidly in the past and adjusted to that somehow but still remained very open to the world very dependent on trade very much punching above their weight and there's clearly big differences between them but in terms of their history and their position on the world stage i think the netherlands and the uk have a lot more in common than say the uk and russia or uk and canada where Mm -hmm. they have a completely different experience and a completely different outlook on the world where do you think the differences lie? I think in terms of what I was just talking about, the colonial experience and that history, um, I think for the British that all feels much more recent. So the Netherlands was a major world power in the 17th century. And then after that, fairly rapidly with the decline of the VOC and so on, sort of lost a lot of their global influence, although they hung on to some of their colonies until relatively late. I think the era where the Dutch was a major maritime global imperial force is much longer ago whereas with the british that's still a relatively recent thing you know within my own father's lifetime a huge swathe of the globe was painted red as it were with british colonies and so that i think affects the way that Mm -hmm. britain views its position in the world post-brexit for example and the way the dutch view their future in the eu at the moment um i think in terms of the social values and so on the the most obvious one would be that 
the Dutch are famously very direct and outspoken, <laughs> whereas yeah. the British are famously rather more reserved. And and I think that's that's a key difference. But again, I think a lot of those differences are slightly exaggerated. So, and the the book you've just um, published. So, uh, if people haven't yet had a chance to read it, it's called The Rhine, following Europe's greatest river from Amsterdam to the Alps. Came out what like a month ago now, pretty much. Yeah. Um, how was the process of writing that? Because obviously, you started in the Netherlands, but as you say, you then went into Germany as well. Yeah, well, it was it was very much born from living in the Netherlands and realizing the obvious point that there's this water everywhere. I and mean, right. if I look out the window of my house, I can see rivers on one side and a lake on the other side, and you're know, surrounded by the water. And like a lot of people in the Netherlands, Dutch people, I took that pretty much for granted. Until one day I started looking at the maps a little bit and traveling along the rivers a bit and realized that actually the whole of the Netherlands is effectively the Rhine Delta. Mm. And you have this, and the river that flows past my house, you could in theory throw a bottle in it and it would easily flow into the North Sea. And if I threw a bottle in a river up the Alps from Switzerland, it would flow the whole way down through Switzerland, Austria, France, Germany, and end up in my garden and then go into yeah. the North Sea. And then it's all connected. And more importantly, that that connection that water connection between the Netherlands and the other rest of Europe has had a huge influence on not just the Netherlands, but the other countries it flows through. And part of the reason, for example, that Germany is such a global power in terms of its economy is that conduit that the Rhine provides connecting it to the North Sea through the Netherlands. Part of the reason why the relationship between France and Germany is historically a bit fraught, (laughs) shall we say, is the fact that the Rhine divides them as a border in part. And so th- there's an awful lot of history and culture that has flowed along that river, I think. And that's something that I was quite keen to explore. And how long did um, how long did you take writing that? Was that a couple of years as well? Or was that a, a shorter process? I did that one almost full time when right. I, I didn't really have another day job, so to speak. So that took about a year to okay. write. And that process, I mean, there must be days when you think, this is going brilliantly. And there must be days when it just isn't either isn't flowing when you're writing, or isn't flowing when you're sort of researching or walking. Do you ever, does it ever sort of, think i just can't do this i'm gonna have to have a break oh yeah definitely all the time at least five times a week (laughs) (laughs) it's probably like any job you have good days where everything seems very easy and the sun is shining and you have a nice cup of coffee and you get 20 things done by lunchtime and days when it just seems like a horrible uphill struggle and you just want to crawl back to bed and forget about (laughs) it all um i think with with writing a book the clear thing the most important thing for me is to have the structure very clear to begin with so i took a about a year to write the book but i think literally a year before that thinking very carefully about what I wanted to learn about what the key themes were how they would all fit together how you would take this million ideas and concepts and fragments of history and cultural observations and put them all together as a kind of jigsaw patchwork into a book that hopefully flows quite nicely and people will enjoy reading. Uh, are there things that still surprise you about the Netherlands you know all these years on having arrived here there things that still sort of cause you surprise? Oh, lots of things, I'm sure, every day. Um, I think one of the big ones, which I, I mentioned in the, the first book, the Dutch book, and also in the new Rhine book, is the the Dutch attitude to the environment right. and the natural world I still find endlessly fascinating. Uh, I went for a, a walk just yesterday morning in the park near where I live, um, near Gouda, and I saw that there was this huge area of trees had been completely demolished and cut down, and I was rather horrified because <laughs> it's one of the few patches of woodland around where we live and I talked to some people there and they just all thought that was completely fine and normal and sensible because if they don't cut the trees down they might fall across the path and then that would cause a big 
problem for the people who want to cycle past. And right. that's a, a minor, probably not very exciting example, but I think um, the history of the way the Netherlands has flooded so repeatedly and the Dutch have had to effectively build their country artificially as in protection against flooding and to build the delta works along the coast and the dikes and windmills and canals everywhere has had a really profound impact on the way that Dutch people view the natural world. And I think if you're British or Scandinavian or French, perhaps you view nature as a fairly sort of beautiful, wonderful, magical force that should be respected and that a, a tangled hedgerow or an overgrown forest is a beautiful thing and a walk on a stormy beach in the wind is a lot of fun. And I think Dutch people tend to view things a little bit differently. Nature is something that you have to be a bit wary of and control. And it should be, it's very nice to visit on a Sunday on your bike and then have a cup of coffee, <laughs> but it's something that should really be kept in its place. For those British people living here in the Netherlands who are listening, uh, you've obviously traveled all over the country. You've written about traveling all over the country. Give us a recommendation. Where, where, where should we all go next weekend uh, en masse as British people to go and explore? Somewhere that maybe, you know, as you say, we don't get the chance to see as much of if we get stuck in our communities in the Randstad. Well, it's probably a boringly predictable answer, but um, I still really like the Dutch coast. And I think that's something that a lot of people take for granted and maybe don't visit as much as they should do. But you have from the Hook of Holland to north of Amsterdam, you have almost continuously one big, long, sandy beach that the weather admittedly is not not always ideal but aside from the weather i think it's really one of the most amazing stretches of coastline in europe and i'm always amazed by how many people get on a plane and fly to turkey or italy or morocco or whatever when they have this spectacular white sand frequently completely right. empty of people um just a few miles from their doorstep more originally i also really like the north of the netherlands and that's something that in the last few months i've been really enjoying exploring is the uh, Friesland and the, the far north of the Netherlands up against the the German border and the Friesen Islands which I think is again extremely different from the Randstad and the cities of the southwest it's much more rural much more agricultural but also with a very proud distinctive history of Friesen language um, it almost feels much more sort of Scandinavian or right. Baltic in culture rather than Belgian or German in culture in the way that parts of the south do so Ben, you've got the second book out, the book about the Rhine. Tell me, what's what's next for you? Obviously, there'll be a bit of publicising that, a bit of uh, touring with it. But what 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 are you thinking about writing about next? Well, that's a difficult question, actually. I think um, I'm taking a little bit of a break at the moment. As I said, I've just had a new daughter who was just born, um, just yeah. published this book. So that kind of feels like I achieved enough <laughs> in the last month or two. And maybe I can take a breather until Christmas. Um, but I certainly would like to write more, um, both about the Netherlands and other places. I think I'm very interested in the, the history of the Dutch Golden Age. And as we mentioned before, the impact that the Dutch had on the rest of the world. I always find it incredible. You seem to travel anywhere in the world, whether it's Central America, the Caribbean, Southern Africa, Asia. There's always a ruined Dutch fort right. somewhere. And I think that, that history, that footprint that the Dutch have had on the world, it's not as well known as it should be at least outside the Netherlands so that's an option um, 
But also, you know, Europe's a big place. The world's a big place. So maybe some other other spots too. We'll see how it goes. Super. Well, listen, uh, we'll we'll watch this space. But for um, anyone listening who hasn't yet had the chance to read uh, Why the Dutch Are Different or indeed Ben's new book about the Rhine, I'd heartily recommend them. Do go out and buy them, please. And uh, remember that they can be on your Christmas list as well if they aren't already. Um, ben, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. Thanks so much for joining us and um, look forward to seeing more of your work in the future. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Val. I'm Nick Heath, the Deputy Ambassador at the British Embassy, and you've been listening to our Celebrating Connections podcast. We'd love to know what you think of the podcast, so why not get in touch? You can reach me on Twitter, at NickHeathFCO, or you can get in touch with the Embassy on Facebook or Twitter. On both, our pages are UKINNL, that's U-K-I-N-N-L. If you haven't subscribed already, then why not do so and get all the episodes straight to your device? And do tell your family and friends about the show too. From me, Nick Heath, thanks for listening. Listening.